0: You're listening to a podcast from the Trinity Longroom Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. Um, And thank you so much to Laura for talking about 93, which is um, another favourite of mine. Um, And I'll be picking your brain about that. There's um, a few recipes, I think, towards the end of it on um, scurvy and uh, the sore back and things like that, so uh, lots of interesting things in that one. Um, But today I'm going to be talking about uh, TCD MS 103 um, and it is a book of hours. Um, I think we have digitised maybe four or five books of hours so far as part of the collection um, and uh, hopefully Caroline's nodding at me down the back, so I'm going (laughs) to take that as confirmation, thank you Caroline, Um, and hopefully um, a um, a few more to come as well today so um, a paper circular emblem attached to the final vellum leaf of a 15th century manuscript speaks to its reader in this mirror so may i learn how from sin i ought to turn this particular manuscript is a book of hours which once belonged to a Levina von bronckhurst um, who was a spiritual daughter um, and bronckhurst died in cologne in 1631 So Books of Hours had increased in popularity within the context of individual piety and iconographic self-reflection that had marked the latter uh, decades of 15th-century Europe. Books of Hours were commissioned by royal and aristocratic owners uh, with a particular appeal to female audiences. The idea behind these heavily decorated and highly illuminated manuscripts was such that lay, or non-religious individuals, could participate in the prayer and worship that typified the daily lives of monks and priests. So that's where the hours uh, comes from, uh, books of hours. So it's the hours of the, of the, the monks um, and people were trying to kind of mimic this, I suppose, at home. While for the most part adhering to the hours of the, dimast, uh, the monastic divine office, um, each manuscript commissioned was a fresh beginning, varying greatly according to the needs and desires of its commissioning and leisure owners. And that's the one thing that I really enjoy about. These particular manuscripts, that yes, they follow, you know, a set kind of pattern, and they have very similar, sometimes texts and illustrations, but each one has its own personal touch, and this is uh, particularly true for this one here. So this was true for uh, one hundred three, and um, which was signed by uh, Bronckhurst uh, with the addition of this memento mori or remembrance to death, and its personalised nature typifying the genre. Devotion to the Virgin Mary was one commonality shared by most um, books of hours by the later Middle Ages, and the Hours of the Virgin uh, was the central text um, in each one. Unsurprisingly, illustrious illustrations of the Virgin abound throughout the manuscript, and I'll show you some of those later. For, as Marina Warner, amongst others, have noted, the Virgin Mary was the uh, church's female paragon, the ideal feminine personified. Mary was considered the favored intercessor between humanity and God, her stern yet merciful persona, encouraging people to walk in her light. As a model of piety, the Virgin was frequently symbolized by a mirror because she received the light and reflected it perfectly. The notable absence of another individual in this memento mori, okay, so there's no other figure um, in this, reduces the mirror trope to its de-anecdotalized state, inviting the viewer to see the standard that they have yet to attain. Frequently accompanied by the office of the dead, and um, which this one is here, and I'll show you a fuller image of it in a while. Um, the book served as a reminder of death imminence so they ought to live a good and godly life in the mirror image of the Virgin. This paper will explore ideas around morality and pious women as expressed uh, through Books of Hours. Um, The role of the Virgin as the aspirational ideal whose unspotted goodness was difficult, if not impossible, to attain. And the self-reflexive, pious nature of Books of Hours reinforced by the mirror-like emblem attached to the final folio, encouraging readers to look inwards to consider their moral fate and mortal state. So basically, viewers meant to look within to try and see the the most perfect um, version of themselves. So what about medieval ideas about sort of medieval women? So as uh, Ruth Karras um, and uh, Judith Bennett and others have uh, noted, um, during the medieval period, man was considered the human standard, while women were the marked gender. Capable of both extraordinary good and exceptional evil, women were either revered on pedestals or demonized at the stake. Developments in feminist politics throughout the 1970s, however, challenged this narrative of virgins versus villains, moving to incorporate a more rounded understanding of medieval women. While the patriarchal structure of medieval society subordinated women in favor of the power, influence, and norms of men, there were ways in which women could advance their own personal agendas within the confines, and sometimes because of, the strictures of patriarchal society. Moreover, the medieval church was willing to play with gender binaries, allowing for the tenderness of the distinctly masculine God the Father and the so-called cult of the Virgin Mary, which accommodated the feminine aspects of religious devotion recent scholarship has deployed terms such as agency to describe the ways in which women could accommodate negotiate and even manipulate their assigned gender and social roles though as her, uh, martha howell um, has noted this term is not uh, unproblematic and overuse the term agency kind of uh, reduces um its its meaning in a way under church doctrine and medieval law mankind had fallen from grace through the actions of eve and all types of law regarded women as inferior, with many lacking legal identity. Nevertheless, across England, Scotland, France, and the Low Countries, there were landholders who were women, and women who flouted traditional gender roles. Despite attitudes of church and law, women exerted influence not only within the confines of the family, but in the political, economic, and religious world also. Um, in spite of, again, and sometimes because of the restrictions that were placed upon them. While many sources focus on the male experience, there are many also which speak to the female experience of medieval life, uh, from which much can be gleaned. Um, and my paper is going to look at 103 um, in particular. So while both men and women read and owned books of ours, so I'm not saying it was a, an exclusively female thing, and um, they did hold a special meaning for women in particular. From the 13th century, female patrons came predominantly from royal and noble families. These manuscripts were individually commissioned by owners from the upper echelons of the social elite, lavishly decorated and carefully designed. By the 15th century, however, the books became increasingly popular amongst the laity as mass produced manuscripts and printed books became more widely available. These manuscripts were prepared on speculation by a bookseller who planned production, deciding which sets of texts and illustrations to include. In turn, customers chose from this ready-made selection, sometimes adding a custom text or image, um, as may have been the case in 103. Um, So while Books of Hours were commonly gifted to brides or the betrothed couple, Um, To be used by women and their families, the lines of marriage did not apply in this case um, here, well, for this particular owner. Okay, so um, this is uh, 103, so it's about. this size small. It's not the smallest one. There's um, smaller, smaller books of ours. Again, I'm smiling a Caroline. This one's really, really tiny and just lovely. And um, this is a little bit bigger. Um, and we can see here um, that it once belonged to a Levina von uh, Bronckhurst, um, who, as I said, she died in Cologne in 1631. Now, this is from the uh, the the and um, the Fogel collection, and um, so you can see Fogel catalog and the number up the top. Um, and the old um, call number is there as well. Um, so, yeah, this is the one that we're looking at today. So, um, like uh, many medieval manuscripts in the library, uh, in most library collections, as well, you know, uh, provenance can be difficult uh, to determine. Uh, both Mark uh, Culker and James Morrow um, date the manuscript to the uh, latter quarter of the 15th century. Um, when Books of Hours were growing in popularity. So the text here is written predominantly in Latin, though some headings are in Dutch, um, as is the inscription around this this, um, circular emblem that I just showed you on the final folio. So the inclusion of Middle Dutch suggests the manuscript was made for use in the southern Low Countries, perhaps Ghent. Um, neither Culker nor, nor Marrow were willing to fix a more uh, precise place of origin, um, and that's not something I'm going to try and attempt to do here either. Um, where they do diverge, though, and I think this is quite interesting, and this is something that I'd like to look more into, is the dating of the engraving. Okay? So that's been kind of harder to, to pin down. So Marrow dated the paper emblem. Um, let's go back a minute. Marrow dated this to approximately four, 1480, to around the time that the, the manuscript was commissioned, and I just, um, I'm just not, I'm not so sure. Um, I'm probably more inclined to to side with uh, Culker on this, and um, who places it, and um, places it later. Um, so Morrow had dated it to kind of fourteen eighty um, in accordance with the manuscript, and he's kind of owing that to the to the basic nature of the grave, uh, the engraving, and the, the Gothic lettering as well. So the. In- Okay, great. Um, the engraving uh, doesn't appear in any of the kind of standard corpora or the um, the catalogues, uh, which for the archivists amongst us doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Um, so on the other hand, Culker um, kind of extends the date into the 16th century. So if the engraving was from the 16th century, then we might be able to tie it to Bronchus, which I would love to be able to do, but again, um, I can't be certain. And... Um, In any case, um, it would appear that there were two prior owners to uh, to Bronckhurst, two at least. So, as a spiritual daughter, um, Bronckhurst had taken a vow of chastity, uh, pursuing a life of piety under the direction of a male cleric. Such a tradition was popular amongst uh, Jesuits in the Low Countries during the 17th century. Interestingly, women in this particular region of the Southern Low Countries were considerably wealthy, um, controlling large swathes of wealth, and exerting considerable influence over art, culture, and religion there. We don't know a whole lot about uh, Broncos, or at least I don't know a whole lot yet, but hopefully I'll find out more, Um, other than the fact that she was a spiritual daughter who was weak, sickly, and elderly, and that she died in Cologne. Bronchorst may have come from Antwerp, um, which had been a Jesuit stronghold where good works were promoted, along with the belief in the power of the Virgin Mary to intercede on the part of sinners, um, and a celebration of uh, virginity and celibacy. When Jesuits were expelled and Antwerp declared a Calvinist republic, many wealthy Jesuit families took refuge in Cologne. The spiritual daughter movement appears to have belonged to the Tridentine tradition of women rejecting marriage and embracing chastity, and um, without having to join a convent and um, providing them with some degree of autonomy, which they may not have had as married women or nuns. And um, I read somewhere the other day about and um, this potentially being kind of um, uh, a political reference or something. You know, a. a, um, a exertion of maybe uh, some political power to be able to, to take this, but um, I'll have to look more into it. So, unsurprisingly, illustrations of the Virgin Mary are a focal point of this manuscript, um, uh, which once belonged to uh, Bronchers just as the uh, Virgin Mary was central to the pious devotion of medieval women. Um, and perhaps uh, Bronchus took kind of comfort in, her, um, in the Virgin's um, chasteness. Let's um, skip that. Okay, look at these images and <laughs> shout out to Angelica for you know putting it back together and Caroline for making them look absolutely stunning. Um, so illustrations of the Virgin Mary, focal point of this manuscript, uh, which once belonged to Bronckhurst. Um, and these figures here illustrate uh, the Annunciation and the um, a visitation by um, by Elizabeth. So, as Laura um, Savit Miles has noted recently, the centrality of Mary's reading at the site of the Annunciation is sometimes overlooked. The depiction of the Virgin as a praying figure in an enclosed space often mirrored the devotional practices of medieval men and women alike. Books of Hours, such as 103, offered medieval women, such as Bronckhurst, the opportunity to act, read, and pray like the Virgin. This reflexivity was central to the private devotional practices of medieval women. Moreover, in the case of 103, this reflexivity is quite literally expressed through the momentum more, which is attached to the final um, folio, through which Bronchrist could see herself reflected in her own book, if it was Bronchrist. Okay, maybe it wasn't. <laughs> So, as noted above, the Virgin um, was considered the favoured intercessor between God and humanity, urging people to live their best lives. In addition to the illustrations of Mary, devotees inscribed handwritten dedications to the Virgin in body and soul, asking for her protection from sin, for her comfort, and to pray to Jesus on her behalf. Mary was stern yet merciful, taking the sinner's side, but reprimanding them, um, for their wrongdoings, and sometimes exacting a penalty for infractions. She was the spiritual ideal and devotional model to which contemporaries hoped to aspire. Warner aptly compared the myths surrounding the Virgin to a magic mirror, reflecting a people and the beliefs they produce, recount, and hold. While mediation was her most constant attribute, and that she was commonly called upon to redress wrongs and bestow graces of all kinds, her position as the most perfect human woman and the celebration of that in some ways contributed to the denigration of humanity, but women in particular, as the myth around Mary created a standard that was impossible to achieve. The personalization of books of ours through annotations or editions speaks to the growth of individualism in religious expression, and this is particularly apparent in the memento mori in Netherlandish art during this period. While the figure of death or skulls are readily found in Western uh, European art from the 13th to the 16th century, Netherlandish artists were distinguished by creating a significant variant on this theme. In most other representations of death and mirrors, other figures are featured so that the illustration becomes anecdotal. The illustration is about another person who contemplates their deceased state. The notable absence of another figure in 103 however reduces the mirror to its de-anecdotalized state inviting the viewer to look into their soul and consider uh, the standard they have yet to attain by avoiding particularizing this um, anecdotal figure the illustration invites free reflection on sin death self-examination penitence and revelation so difference here the This other image is about this horseman who's been scared into uh, living a better life, I suppose. The personalised, and I'm wrapping up, the personalised uh, emblem is reinforced by the inscription in the border which reads, In this mirror, so may I learn how from sin I ought to turn. According to Augustine, um, mirrors allowed viewers to see what they should, could, or would become. The mirror here is accompanied um, by the office of the dead, uh, reminding individuals of death's imminence, and so they ought to live a good and godly life. If not in the mirror image of the Virgin, they might, at the very least, aspire to her unspotted goodness. As such, mirrors could be viewed as vehicles for individual moral reform, serving as injunctions against sin and as stimuli to personal self-reflection. So to conclude, um, this particular book of ours and others like it in the library's collection speaks to the growth of individualism and manifestations of privatisation in religion across medieval Europe. Additions, annotations and marginalia brought religion beyond the confines of pews and chapels and into the everyday lives of their owners. The omnipresence of mortality in medieval society brought moral concerns to bear on the lives of contemporary men and women. The fear of death, for example, inciting the horsemen to live a more virtuous life. While illustrations of the Virgin Mary served as mirror images of private worship or personal devotion, the Virgin's unspotted goodness was, as uh, Warner observed, difficult, if not impossible, to um, attain. As such, the personalising of religion, which Books of Hours encouraged, provided contemporaries with the tools to look inwards for greater intimacy and a decidedly instrumental understanding of prayer. The self reflexive and pious nature of Books of Hours, such as 103, was reinforced by the addition of a mirror symbol to the final folio, inviting the reader to look beyond the Virgin and into the mirror so that they learn how from sin they ought to train.